This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I want to study with you a little while this morning about the idea of what servants can do. And this is a study that's built around the story of Elisha the prophet and Naaman the leper. It's one of the more well-known stories from the Old Testament. So if you've done much Old Testament reading or heard many Bible stories or Bible studies based on Old Testament Scripture, there's a decent chance you've heard this one about the, the guy that had leprosy and he had to go out to the Jordan River and dip seven times and then the seventh time he come up clean. That, that's a pretty familiar story. And when we think about that story and kind of the impact that that has, we always think about kind of the main characters there. Obviously, we think about Naaman. He was the guy that had leprosy. We think about Elisha, the prophet, because he's the guy that sort of directed traffic, so to speak, in getting things going that provided Naaman the healing that he craved. But there are other characters in this story. They're just as important. You might say, well, yeah, there was a king. Israel had a king there that if you get your books out and chronicles and the kings and start calculating, you might figure out who that was and say, well, I, I guess he was important. And Naaman, he was a, a general in the army of the Syrians. So Syria, they had a king. So I guess they're pretty important. And so I'm not talking about the kings either. I mean, they're important guys and they're pivotal in the story. <clears throat> but there are others that are key and critical to the story. There are people, many of whom, we don't even know their names. They're just the forgotten rabble, so to speak. But as we examine this story, understanding Elisha is important, understanding Naaman's important, all those people we often think about, understanding they're important, but today we're going to look around them and look past them as we study this <clears throat> And we're going to become acquainted with some servants that though we don't know their names, we know their role, and it was critical. <coughs> and from that perspective, this story teaches us a lesson about how important it is and how valuable it is to the kingdom of God to just go out there and be a servant. And you don't have to be the person that's playing the role where everybody knows your name. And when everybody tells the story, they always talk about, you know, that person because that person is one of the key characters. You don't have to be the proverbial Elisha or Naaman to be important part, a key part, a pivotal part of the ongoing story that brings people the spiritual healing that they need. Just like Naaman needed physical healing of that disease leprosy. And so... I would put before you then this question. Have you ever had moments in your life where you wished you could kind of be the Elisha type person? You looked at someone else that had that very noticeable talent that's worthy of remembering the name and you said, wow, I, I wished I could be that person and have their talents and their abilities. And you feel frustrated. Maybe you feel a little down on yourself. Well, I can't do that. You know, that's just not who I am. And I want to tell you, if you've ever had those moments, this study this morning is for you. 
because I want to walk, I want you to walk away from here with me believing together that it's up to God to assign, assign the importance that we play in the story of getting help out there and getting the gospel to the lost. And we don't have to have a name that gets the accolades and the, and the recognition and the remembrance to be a key part of the story that God sees and God notices. Because I'm going to tell you, I understand that feeling of, well, I'm just not important. You might think, well, that's crazy. You go ahead and think that, but I've still felt that way. I've had times where, you know, I'm part of a story that's going on and an effort that's going on, and I've looked at talents that other people have had and thought, boy, I wish I was good at that like they are. I'm going to go home and try to be better at that and don't, <laughs> can't. They're just some natural abilities that one person has the other person doesn't have. So I've been in that spot where I've looked at abilities that other had and, and I've envied those abilities and wished I could have them. And at some point, we've got to embrace the kind of humility that lets us just settle down and settle in and be who we're supposed to be in God's scheme to get the gospel to the lost. And put our faith in the fact that it's the power of God and the message of God's word that can enliven the deeds of a servant. Because that's what we see in this story. Uh, uh, when we look past the people that we all know about and remember about, and we look for the unknown characters and the unnamed characters, we find not just important people, but pivotal people. And so I want to ask you to join me in a consideration of this. First, we'll read the portion of the story that we find in 2 Kings 5, the first 14 verses. He said, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, <coughs> that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with the horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. 
But Naaman was wroth. And he went away and, behold, and, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Tharpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. <coughs> and his servants came near and spake to him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again into him, uh, of the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The story has an happy ending. If, you know, if you're Naaman, Naaman has leprosy. Leprosy was a deadly and is a deadly disease. Today with modern medicine, if, if you have access to medications, there are ways to treat it. <coughs> but in this distant day, there was no way to treat it. To have leprosy was to have a death sentence. And I've seen people with leprosy before in foreign mission work, and it's, it's in, very, in its various stages. It's very unsightly. It's, it's very ugly. It's very unpleasant. And it starts out just decaying away at the extremities, the fingers and things like that. And as it advances deeper into the flesh, it eventually gets to the vital organs. And it, basically your body just slowly if I could put it in this unhappy way, it just slowly sloughs away. And the disorder reaches even to the vital organs so that eventually they come to lose their functionality so that the person very slowly, very gradually dies. And in that distant day, not knowing a lot about it, a lot of time lepers were, had to live in exile in places, countries where leprosy is, is still common, that's still a common thing as lepers are segregated from society because they don't want to spread the disease. You can understand that. But you can also understand how that if you're, got, you're the guy that just figured out you got leprosy and you know that's in your future, you're going to have to go away from everybody and kind of live in isolation with others that are also dying of this disease until you very slowly, very painfully die and you're the guy that gets the healing, hey, that's a story that ends well. And I know it ended well because of the work of Elisha the prophet, and I know that God was with Elisha. We all understand that, and so God gets the glory, and Elisha had an important role, and who wouldn't want to be able to be mighty and powerful and, and do great works like what Elisha the prophet did? Well, he was important, but he wasn't the only one important. And I want you to know that when the Lord teaches us about His church, His body, He teaches a concept of the body of Christ wherein everybody in the body is an active part of the body. We're all busy doing what we can. And you might think, well, but the things that I do are few and very small, and so I'm not that important, so I'm just going to kind of let others do the work of the body. And that's the kind of thing we want to understand this morning is not right. We can't allow our you know, low feelings about our own abilities stop us from labors to which the Lord have call, has called us. 
And our having confidence in the things that we can do is not about having a self-inflated view of who we are and how important we are and whether or not our name is worth remembering when someone's story is someday told. But it's about just being that humble servant that's there to make a difference when you have the opportunity to make a difference. And if no one jots your name down, well, that's just fine. Not long ago, uh, a friend of mine and I, a brother in the Lord, were, we were out working and making visits, trying to encourage people. And there were some people that we were trying to visit who, because of this pandemic, for a variety of reasons, there were a lot of people that either didn't feel safe coming to the services or they weren't able for you know, it's reasons that's beyond anything I need to be talking about. Just suffice to say, some had a lot of obstacles because of the pandemic, and there were long stretches of time they couldn't get out and go. And they were very discouraged, so it was reaching a point. They felt like it was safe to receive, you know, visitors, and we felt like it was safe to and a good time to make those visits, and we went and we sat and we talked. And, you know, somebody sitting there crying, talking about how much they miss their church family. And how much they miss attending the, the assembly of the church. And they're hurting. They're feeling spiritually weak. They feel more vulnerable to the Satan's temptations at that time in their life than at any other time in their Christian life. And maybe this last year or two has been kind of hard for you. And maybe you've had moments where you could identify with those feelings. And, and this person said, but you know, one day I got a card in the mail. And that card had a little note, a scripture, and a prayer. And that card had a little something that somebody else had written or a child had drawn or whatever. And they're saying, you know, that kind of got me through the day. And when I got the feeling low and thought I wasn't going to make it, I could go and read that card. I'm just going to tell you, nobody knows I mean, there's a couple of people that know, but in the main, nobody knows who sent that card. Nobody even knows the card was sent, okay? People will remember the ones that made the visit. That will get mentioned, you know, if someone talks about that and that person, you know, finally getting to come back and feeling strengthened and encouraged and making it through. Those are the ones that will be talked about. The elders that came in and offered prayer, their names will be remembered. I mean, they're elders in the church. Of course they're remembered. And it's not that these people do those things for those accolades. That's just, that's how we look at things. You know, to put it in a sports illustration, I don't know if any of you follow college ball, but I enjoy college ball, and everybody knows the quarterback's name, but not many people know the name of the deep snapper until he messes up a deep snap. <laughs> and then everybody knows his name. And it's kind of that way in life. I'm not saying it's fair. It's just kind of how it tends to be. And so out there somewhere, there's this unknown, unnamed, lowly, perhaps underappreciated servant who did a simple deed that cost, was it 55 cents for a postage stamp and the cost of a little bit of paper in the time it took to write out a scripture text and write out a prayer and send it. And that's the servant that made the difference. And of all the people that don't know, okay, the one that matters does know. God knows. And I'll tell you somebody else that knows. 
the person who got that boost that carried them through knows. So don't underestimate the value of whatever servant role you might have. Now, maybe you have things you can do that are better, you know, in the way the world esteems things than sending a card. I mean, that's something I'm not particularly good at. My handwriting is sloppy, and a lot of times I don't know what to write. I don't know why. I just can't, you know, that's just kind of, I try, but that's something I'm not very good at. But I see others, man, that's just natural to them. And you, you might say, well, that's not my knack, but there's something else you can do. Don't underestimate the value of something as simple as just taking the time to greet people and ask them how they're doing. We see each other at services, before or after services. Hello, how are you? Is there something I can do for you? I mean, I don't know what your abilities are. Some of you that I've known for a few years, I've got a couple of ideas of things you could do, but some of you I have no clue, but I know that God has enabled us all to do something. And so do not let your heart devalue whatever small thing in your eyes that you may be able to offer to others because you might be that one thing that, that it pivots on and it makes a big difference in someone's life. And it creates an opportunity for the elders to come in and have a word of prayer or a word of encouragement. Or it creates an opportunity for someone to drop by and make a visit. Or it creates an opportunity for that Elisha, you see, to go out and do what the Elishas of the world do. Let's talk about the servants in the story so that you can see clearly how this story turns on the deeds of humble servants. There was an initial opportunity. Naaman's got leprosy. It's a deadly disease. Syria was a nation that was enemies of Israel, the northern kingdom of God's people. And they were off and on at odds. As we read in the text, Syria would send raiding bands of soldiers in to just capture people to make servants out of them, to bring them back to Syria. So tensions were high, and the enemy general is sick with a deadly disease. And one of the people of Israel, a young female, is having to be a servant in that general's household. Who wouldn't be bitter? I mean, if some other nation captured me and carried me somewhere away and made me be a servant at the general's house and you know, keep his lawn mowed and all like that, I'd be kind of unhappy about that. And I think you would be too. So we're thinking, you know, with our modern mindset here and looking at this young lady thinking, how does she endure that? Well, what, what she did to endure that was apparently she just did her job. She just served the general's wife. Took care of whatever her obligations were. Apparently, I'm going to extrapolate from the text, she must have done a pretty good job, and here's why. Because when the household was upset about the leprosy, and she said, I know a guy that can fix that, they listened. And in the social ranking of these ancient cultures, and even today of Eastern cultures, in the social ranking, the lowly household servant is not the person everybody listens to. That's the person everybody ignores. So what do you have to do and what do you have to be as a servant to become the person that they'll listen to you? Normally you're the one that gets swept aside and no, you go do your chores. We'll talk about this amongst ourselves. What do you have to do to, from that position, be elevated to a, a kind of a person that when you say, hey, I know a guy that can help with this, that everybody turns and listens and they get up a caravan of goods and say, let's go find that guy. The only way I can imagine to become that person 
is to do what the Scripture describes her as doing, and that is just be a servant. And that's how she's described. She's described as a servant for the general's wife, one that's called her mistress there. So instead of fussing, fighting, arguing, bemoaning her lowly station in life, and it was a lowly station, she just humbly did her job. And by humbly doing her job, she became a voice on which the story pivots. Because before the story encounters her, Naaman is as good as doornail dead. He is going to die. And he is going to die in the way I described earlier. Slowly, painfully, in a very humiliating way. And I, I don't know how to make that clearer than the mental images I have of having seen people with leprosy. It's just a terrible thing. And he's going to die like that until we encounter this unknown, unnamed servant girl. So far as I know, we don't read about her anywhere else in Scripture. The scribes didn't even bother to recount her name. But what little things she did as a servant girl in a nation that was not even her home were so important that the story turned on her deeds. And just at her word of recommendation, Naaman went from being marching down the road towards death to, hey, there's hope. Something can be done. And as the story goes, supplies were sent to Israel and Israel's king gets word from Syria, an enemy nation. Hey, I've got this general. You know the guy that's been leading bands of forces to go in and kidnap all your people and make them servants? Yeah, that guy. You know the guy whose military, your military can't handle? Yeah, that guy. Well, he has leprosy now and we expect you to fix it. From our perspective as Christians, looking at this through the idea of Elisha the prophet, it's a no-brainer. Well, sure, Elisha can take care of that. You know, but the king of Israel at that time, those guys, they were idolaters, a lot of them. They weren't exactly men of God. So we're looking at a fellow here that from his perspective, it makes sense. This guy's trying to start a war. He expects me to be a god and heal this general of his. I can't do that. This is just another Syrian ploy to come take more of our citizens and burn more of our cities and steal more of our stuff. But Elisha hears about it, and what does he do? He just sends somebody. We don't even know who he sent. He just sent word that says, tell him to come to me. And in that, there was an invitation for Naaman to hear what Elisha had to say to tell him to do about the leprosy. The, the person, the emissary that carried that message is so important, unimportant in the way men see things. He's not named. He doesn't even say, hey, Elisha had this servant guy. It doesn't say anything. We just get the idea that word was sent because he said he sent to the king. So just based on that simple phrase, we know somebody or somebody's left Elisha's house, went to the king's palace and said, hey, Elisha says send that guy here and I'll take care of it. So did the story turn on this person or person's deeds? Well, we went from Naaman's still on his way to death, even though he's got hope now. He's still doomed to die. Not only that, but now... 
Israel king thinks a big war is about to break out. We go from that doom to a sigh of relief that, well, there's hope to resolve the conflict and to heal the leper. And that turn in the story that's quite dramatic turned on the deeds of some unnamed servant. So he gets to Elisha's house and Elisha doesn't even come out. <laughs> Elisha just sends a messenger out. wonder who that was. Text didn't say. Maybe he's one of those people that watched Elisha and thought, man, I wish I could be a cool guy like that and do all this cool stuff. I mean, one time a guy lost the head of an axe and Elisha stuck the handle in the water and the axe head swam to it. I, wouldn't you like to be able to do stuff like that? That's cool. Who doesn't want to be that guy? You don't have to be that guy to be important in someone's story. And I'm going to tell you, it's not about getting your name recorded and noticed and recognized. It's just about doing the job. And so somebody not named just goes out and does their job and says, hey, Elisha said, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. So the word was delivered on the deed of a servant. But there was need of follow-up effort because Naaman the general got mad as a wet hen. Jordan was apparently a, a river that wasn't esteemed as being particularly clean. And the rivers of his homeland were much cleaner, is my understanding, fed by snow waters from uh, nearby mountains. So, you know, that's... that's uh, that's going to look cleaner and better, and Jordan, not so much. And so he's mad. He was expecting a lot of fanfare and a lot of public notice and a lot of things that get your attention. Come and strike his hand over the place and, you know, call on his God and all this fanfare. You can imagine what he was expecting. And his servant said, if he'd asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How do you read that story? At this point in the story, I, I don't want to read too much into the text here, but at this point where they said, if he had bid you do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? That sounds to me like they're challenging his pride a little. Who were these guys? We don't know. They were just servants of Naaman. How did they address him? Well, they called him my father. So it was one of those social arrangements where the, the servants had a relationship with their master that was at least loosely like a, a father-son type relationship. So I'm thinking this guy's a general in the military. He is a mighty man of, of valor. He is a, a great combatant in a very powerful army of that region. And his servants come and say, hey, guess what? You're wrong. Now, I don't know what it was like where you grew up. I, I grew up in a family that was very old school. And anybody that, that knew my dad knew that he was, he was a loving and kind man, but he was also very stern. And I'm going to tell you, of all the questions you might ask and all the things you might say, here's one thing you never did to dad. You did not walk up to him and say, hey, dad, you're wrong. <laughs> you just didn't do that. You might say, can I talk to you? Can, you might say, can I, I need your help. You know, I'm trying to understand where you're at. You might find an humble way to say it. But you didn't say something that called him out for his pride. 
maybe in your mind that's too strict. I, I don't know. I know I see a lot of problems in a lot of homes that dad didn't have in his home. So whatever we make of it, the point is, in my mind, that illustrates a relationship that I see similar to what's going on here. But these guys, as servants, had some part of Naaman's heart so that they were able to successfully challenge him. Maybe if I'd have been a better son, I could have said a few more things to Dad. I don't know. But they were able to challenge him, and he listened. So before... We encounter these servants whose names we have no clue. Nan was still dying of leprosy and Israel and Syria were still at a high point of strife. But the story pivoted on their deeds with their little dab of follow-up effort. One time reading through the story, it struck me of all the servants that we read about here and all the great things they did and how the story constantly turned on their deeds we don't know any of their names, but there is one servant whose name we know. And it's the guy that got it wrong. <laughs> He's the proverbial deep snapper that we read about in the paper on Sunday. His name was Gehazi. Elisha was offered a great deal of wealth in exchange for this miracle, and he turned it down. And he had a servant named Gehazi, whose part of the story is beyond the verses that we read earlier. And Gehazi... Couldn't stand it. 2 Kings 5 and 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Boy, that sounds like some business ethics I've seen a few times. I'm going to chase down that guy and get some of his money. Greed got a hold of Gehazi, didn't it? So what did he do? He went to Naaman and more or less lied, said, ah, my master's changed his mind. He wants a little of that. I mean, there's a lot of wealth loaded on that caravan. Those, what was it, 10 changes of clothes? That wasn't like going down here to Walmart and buying 10 sets of clothes. I mean, that cost you a little money. But back then, that 10 changes of clothes was a big deal. That was a lot of wealth because you didn't have factories back then that made this stuff, spitting it out at a high rate of speed. You know, for the king of Israel to tear his clothes, that's a big, big deal. That's a lot of money right there. And so he sees not just the silver and the gold, but the clothing. He's looking at a lot of wealth. He says, some of that's going to be mine before this day is over. And he went and he lied. And he got some of it. And Elisha called him out and said, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Okay, that's not exactly what Elisha said. <laughs> But what he said, that's how we would say it today. You win Naaman's leprosy. The leprosy of which he was healed, you got. Ouch. And he's the only guy who's named. Is the guy that messed up that bad. Now, I don't want to make more out of that than what the Lord would intend through this record of Scripture, but it really strikes me that all the humble people that did so many great things that made such a big difference, we don't even know who they were. But the one guy that really messed up is the one that's remembered. So I don't want to be that guy. I want to be like those others. 
And if that means after I'm gone, no one remembers my name, good. As long as they remember the Lord's name. That's what matters. And I might see the things that I can do as dreadfully small and dreadfully unimportant. Are you imagining right now things that you can do for the Lord and thinking, this, this is no big deal. This is not going to help. This, I can't do what those people over there, that one or that one can do. Don't think like that. Let's be content to just be that humble servant that just ducks our head to the chores we've been given and goes and does our job. And know that somewhere along the way, the hand of God and the power of God will work through our human humility and see that things get done. And you never know when a story may turn on something simple that you've done. Let's think of the idea of Christian servitude. In Acts 27 and 23, see how Paul identified himself. There stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Paul here portrayed himself as being God's property and God's servant. Boy, when we think of us being someone's property, that's pretty unflattering. That goes against our thoughts about freedom, and I understand all of that. But we're not talking about a fellow human here. We're talking about how Paul saw his relationship with God. And he says, I belong to God and I'm his servant. I'm that servant girl out of Israel that's serving in Naaman's house. I'm the errand boy that Elisha sent to go to the palace and deliver a message. I'm the guy that Elisha sent out of the house to say, go dip in the river Jordan. I'm the general's private servants that nobody knows who I am. I'm just there to do my job and care about my boss. That's how Paul sees himself in the church. And this is the apostle Paul. He's kind of like Elisha. He can do a lot of cool stuff. But at the end of the day, whatever our talent, set are, uh, talent sets are, however others might see our talents or we might see our own abilities, at the end of the day, we're all just servants that belong to the Lord's household and we're there to do a job. And there are jobs for us to do that hinge on initial opportunities being created for others to hear the gospel, just like that servant girl that we read about in 2 Kings 5. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1 and 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. This is an incredible passage when it's viewed against the backdrop of what happened at Thessalonica. Okay, 1 Thessalonians. That's a letter that Paul wrote to Thessalonica. And he's talking to those Christians there at Thessalonica. And he said... Everybody in Macedonia, that's the region where Thessalonica was situated, and everybody in Achaia, that's a region south of Thessalonica, further down from the, the coast, down into southern Greece. Everybody has heard about your faith towards God. I wonder what he's talking about. Well, you go back to Acts 17, and you read about where the church was started at Thessalonica, and you read about how they faced persecutions, <coughs> but the members of the church there, brand new Christians, stuck it out and retained their faith, and, you know, they, they weren't all world-class evangelists that went and filled coliseums in the Roman Empire and got to preach to a thousand people. 
They were just Christians going and doing their thing and being humble and not letting the persecutions and the hardships of serving Christ in that distant day stop them from doing the right thing. And Paul says, you guys, your lives is preaching such a powerful sermon, it gets there before we can. Do not underestimate the importance and the power of you just being the person that God has called you to be. And, the, you know, if word of their faithfulness could spread down the European continent, I mean, it's not like they could send an email down to Achaia and say, hey, guess what we heard? It all went on foot and horseback, okay? It was the fastest. In today's age of the modern movement of information, how fast can the story of your faithful servitude here in northwest Arkansas travel? Can I just tell you something? Word of your faith has reached the ears of others, and they're stronger today just because they hear about you. Don't tell yourself that your role as a servant is not important. A lot of them, they don't know your names. They don't know who you are, and that's all right. God knows. And that helps create opportunities. You've got opportunities in this community to be the kind of people that others will hear about and know about and they'll want to hear the gospel because they see it lived out in your life. And from that life that creates that opportunity comes the invitation to hear. It reminds me of what God told Isaiah to tell Israel in his day. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That may not be the first thing I say when I shake someone's hand for the first time, but this passage illustrates to us the idea. God working through one of his faithful servants sends a message to Israel, hey, let's sit down and talk. And isn't that basically what we carry when we carry the gospel in our lives and on our lips? is we're going to our fellow man with a willingness and an, and an open invitation to, hey, let's talk. They may not know the spiritual leprosy that plagues their soul, but maybe by just being an humble servant, we can give them an opportunity to hear. Look at what Peter was told about telling Cornelius the gospel in Acts 11, 13 and 14, where he recounts the story. It said, he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. I mean, this doesn't exactly happen for everybody apparently, but Cornelius got a visit from an angel. Now who wouldn't want to be an angel in the celestial army of God? Don't you know their, their swords are really shiny? I mean, really, what, what do you even imagine that's like? It's got to be amazing. You know what the angel did? God's got a servant that's going to tell you. The angel wouldn't even tell him the gospel. And a lowly fisherman who had a hard time keeping his mouth shut at the right time, named Peter, was the guy that went and delivered the message to the first Gentile converts. Peter is the one who would invite you to hear the gospel and give you the gospel. And on that deed, the whole story pivoted in Cornelius and his household, and they all became Christians. 
We've got to deliver the word, don't we? That takes a certain amount of ability. You might think, well, there's some of that others can do better than I can. That's all right. Did you notice how many servants we went through before we got to this servant? Everybody's got a part to play in someone hearing about Christ. Timothy was certainly a special kind of service, a servant. The scriptures tell us he labored as an evangelist. And Paul talked about his role in actually delivering the message. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I want you to work in such a way that it's fully evident that you are a servant. That's where word ministry points to him being a servant. So you just go and you teach the word with patience. Somebody looks at that passage and you're thinking, what I thought, well, he's talking about today, the time will endure, that they'll come, they won't endure sound doctrine, and they'll, you know, all that. Well, I see that happening around me today. But I want us to stop and think. Paul expected Timothy to encounter that. That's not something that's unique today because, you know, the world's getting worse or however we want to put it. That's something that's common in human race. What cycle of human history hasn't seen people that plug their ears to the gospel or to the message of God? And the Lord's answer through Paul's pen to Timothy was just go teach the word. Do it patiently and work hard at it. Do it in a way that just makes it obvious you're a servant. And so whatever talents that you may have that lend themselves to the opportunity to go and deliver that word or help set the opportunity for the word to be delivered, then just go do that. And sometimes there's a need for that follow-up effort. Sometimes a person hears what they need to do and they get a little bit like Naaman and they think, well, that's, I thought it was going to be different than that. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, Paul said, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. That sounds to me a little bit like advice that would work in dealing with a Naaman. Naaman got a little unruly, didn't he? He's storming off in a rage, dying of leprosy. But mad, warn them, just like his servants did. And what did they do? They did that with patience. They humbly addressed him, my father. You know, they're trying to do what they can to reach him. Was he being a little feeble-minded or weak? I think unflattering as those labels might be, we might say that sort of fit Naaman and think of it today. He's telling Christians to do the same kind of thing that Paul told Timothy to do. You just go out and warn people. You comfort people. You support people. And that's not always somebody out in the world that needs the gospel. Sometimes that's a brother or sister in the Lord. And here's the neat thing about taking part in that. Sometimes the person that sends the card gets more out of it than the person that got the card. And I'm going to ask you to think about that. You go on that visit that I described earlier and you leave there feeling like somebody did you a favor. 
And that's the way it works when we serve others. So if we go towards others with this kind of humility, if I'm just going to warn and comfort and try to be patient, I might be the feeble-minded person that's getting help. I might be in a season of weakness where I'm getting strength from others that I try to serve. So that's something worth thinking about. And with this idea of servitude, in all of these stages, we have this concept of humble servitude. Look at that humility described with the follow-up effort Paul told Timothy to give in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God peradventure will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. We've got to be humble and kind as we go about doing what we do. And sometimes a servant fails. And we've got to make sure we're not that God. For Isaiah 1 and 28, the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. You know, the book of Isaiah is filled with warnings towards pagan nations and how God would destroy them for their wickedness. And he opens this book up in the first chapter with a warning to God's own children of the nation of Israel, I'll get you too if you don't straighten up and fly right. Okay, so the servant that failed, kind of like Gehazi, we might be overcome by the spiritual disease of sin, leprosy if you will, that we sought to help others find relief from. We've got to be mindful that we don't make that kind of mistake. Ezekiel 18 verse 24 through 26 is very sobering in the warning that it gives. When a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he's committed because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, Israel, a house of Israel. Is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Gehazi had no one but a Gehazi to blame for his leprosy. It's a terrifying thought to me that a person could be a faithful servant but surrender that status in the sight of God. As I look at that story in Gehazi's part, I wonder if some of those earlier servants coming out of Elisha's household, I wonder if maybe one of them was Gehazi. The text doesn't really say it. could have been a different person. But the point is this, no matter how faithfully Gehazi had served up to that day, it didn't save him from the moment he let greed eat his heart alive and draw him away from fidelity and faithfulness. When he broke the ranks of a faithful servant, he had problems. And so the message for us is clear. What servants can do in the sight of God is of great value. First Peter 4 and 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever we do, small or great, we don't need to get caught up in worrying how important our role is. 
We just humbly work according to the ability that God has given. And what's the aim of our work? That in all things God will be glorified. And we want the glory and dominion forever to belong to God through Jesus Christ. We don't need to want the accolades that an Elisha gets. We need to want God to get the glory and be content to just humbly do our part. Let's not allow our hearts envying the abilities that others have corrupt us and fade us down into what morphs into laziness and an excuse to just not do what we're capable of doing. Find the things you can do for the work of the Lord. However small those things might look in your eyes, don't underestimate the power that God can attach to the deeds of an humble servant. And go forth and serve in the full confidence of God. That's the work to which the Lord calls us, and that's the work to which I want to encourage you today. I thank you so much for your outstanding attention. You've been a very wonderful audience, and I appreciate that. I hope as you consider the honor and opportunity of servitude that you'll think about the blessing of being a servant of Christ, and if you're not yet a servant of Christ, I hope that you'll become one. If we can assist you in that, we'd love to. Or if as a Christian you need the church to pray for you, we'd be glad to help you with our prayers if you'll please come as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.